You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and outs of the solar industry and what it means for consumers. With New Economy's editor, Charles Parkinson, and leading solar industry veteran, Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Solar Analytics, suppliers of intelligent solar monitoring, and Sunwiz, makers of PV cell software. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid. And joining me as usual is the um, God's gift to solar podcasting, Nigel Morris from... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> solar analytics. Um, he with a new microphone. Um, you know, the good thing is we're starting with a bang and a bit of a laugh each episode, right? Well, we've got what to do it, haven't we? What kind of an intro is, is that? Jeez. <laughs> I'm going to have to lift an octave all the way through this to make sure it's cool. Well, it's a change from last time because um, um, you're doing the double bass bit. Um, That's uh, right. I love some dedication themes. But um, look, how are you, Nigel? I'm really well. I'm really, really well. Apart, it's been apart a... from being, apart from being sort of um, side side swiped by um, yes, that, completely uh, side No, um, I've had a, I've had one of those. I'll be, uh, you know what's great? I've had one of those weeks, Giles, where um, you know, in the software space, it's always fascinating, and you're always kind of, you know, just running a business, doing what you need to do, and all that kind of stuff. But this week, we had one of those weeks where we had one of those moments where you go, oh, what we're really trying to solve is this, and one of our guys just went. Well, we could do this, and we and we all just looked at him and went, "Can you do that?" And he went, "Yeah, I could do that right now." We went, "Go and do it," and he went out and he did it, and we solved this problem we've been grappling with for so long, and it has profound implications, which I can't announce yet. But the um, our customers are all going to get a very very nice surprise soon when we release this new feature, and it was just one of those epiphany moments where everything aligned and we suddenly twigged that we had a fantastic solution right under our nose. So fabulous week when that stuff happens. Well, why don't you send it in a federal parliament and maybe they can have one of those moments too where they go, <laughs> oh, let's do this. Policy. <laughs> let's do this. Let's do this. Policy, yeah. Yeah, that'd be uh, nice, wouldn't it? Hey, look, um, we've got a great guest today um, who I want to introduce um, really soon. But just first of all, I just want to cover off a couple of the bits of the news of the week. Quick and the week, it's been yep. pretty interesting, actually. The... Um, Solar everywhere. There's solar plants. Now, we've been talking for the last year or so about all the new construction that's been happening and the new contract signs and stuff like that. And mm. now, finally, these projects are starting to come online. So in the last week, we've had about two or three um, appearing up um, on the grid in New South Wales, Manildra. Uh, we had Parks and Griffiths before that. Uh, we've had Longreach in Queensland. We've had Clear Solar um, in Queensland, which for the moment will be the biggest in that state. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to be overtaken by the biggest in the country, which will be Sun Metals. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon after Sun Metals gets online and it's going to be commissioning, um, it'll be rapidly overtaken by Bangala in South Australia, which is the 220 megawatt solar farm, which has just started connecting to the grid. So they've got 20 megawatts going at the moment or something like that. Wow. And um, that's going to be fascinating because that's going to take South Australia to pretty much about 55% um, wind and solar, um, oh, if not a little bit more. And it's just starting to um, it's just starting to really change the game down there. It's going to be really interesting. It's mind blowing, Josh. I mean, you've only got to back, go back a few years, and none of this stuff was happening, right? It's just come on like a freight train. It's fantastic. 
Whereas, well, I just counted about a dozen solar farms um, on my little um, application, on my little app, um, my NEM Watch app or whatever it's called, mm. um, which is um, Pocket NEM, I think it is. Um, so there's yep. about a dozen solar farms there um, scattered across the country. And that doesn't include a couple which don't actually get on that because they're sort of, um, they're not scheduled generators. So there's a couple of five and 10 megawatt solar farms around the place which fit into that category. But it, look, it's pretty exciting, and that probably adds up to about 500 megawatts of solar, and by the end of the year, we'll be at two gigawatts of large-scale solar. Think about that. That's just fantastic, isn't it? Speaking mm. of uh, the energy mix, um, uh, I see that Josh Frydenberg was on the Alan Jones show again today. Um, I don't know if you had a listen, but I had a, I had a listen. Uh, it's the third time he's been on that show, and I, I have to commend... Minister Frydenberg, I reckon he is handling uh, Alan Jones better than I've heard anyone else handle him. Um, Jones was his usual ranting self. In fact, he sounded like a ranting lunatic, uh, making no sense. And Frydenberg had a measured, calm response, um, uh, many of which were pro-renewables, um, which was great to hear for the third time. He's been, you know, being very honest and very transparent and correcting Jones and saying, you know, you need to check your numbers because there are cases where renewables make a whole heap of sense. And, you know, those examples that you gave just demonstrate it. So, you know, it's great. I love it when the loonies appear even more loony. Well, I've got a question about this. Um, one is that um, Alan Jones has actually made um, Josh Frydenberg sound like a moderate, which is a pretty good <laughs> achievement, considering some of the policies that have been in place over the last few years. Indeed. Um, and my second question is, if Josh is able to speak to, um, if the minister, sorry, with due respect, is able to speak to Alan Jones in this way, why can't he speak the same way to the Craig Killies, the Tony Abbotts and the Barnaby Joyces of the world? And then maybe, maybe we can actually get some solid policy out there. Well, you know what was great was that he was trying to have a rational debate with someone who was an irrational, someone who was clearly irrational, right? And and you're exactly right. And I'll add Matt McEachin to that list, right? Former former Queensland MP who runs the Energy in Australia fake news Facebook page. Um, you've written about that before, and um, I'm appalled and disgusted that that website, that Facebook page, still exists. Uh, Matt McEachin, former MP, still has his website up that implies and infers that he is indeed still an MP, adding credibility to his fake news website. And it's the same four or five people regurgitating the same lies. And, um, you know, it's, 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 I think it's um, well time that Minister Frydenberg um, got him in a room, bought him a beer and sat him down and had a good chat. Now, talking about getting people in a room and having a beer and having a good chat, um, it might be the time to introduce um, Andy from Gippsland Solar. And Andrew, how are you? Good morning, Giles. I didn't know I was supposed to have a beer here. <laughs> I, I just presumed that, that that's what you did at this time of day when, you know, after a hard day's work, sort of pretty much. Really the solar the, industry, we haven't got time for a beer at the moment. Uh, <laughs> too busy. Well, you know. Um, how are you? Oh, very well. Yeah, very busy, very excited about the way things are going and living the dream, to be honest, at the moment. Now, look, you're down in the Latrobe Valley, um, Gippsland Solar, um, in the Latrobe Valley. You're right in the heart of the Brown Coal area. Um, is that right? I mean, are you, you're right in the heart of that? Absolutely, so yeah. Just tell us, yeah, so tell us what's happening down there um what do people think about the energy transition and um what do people make of people like you i mean do they see fantastic you're the future how can we make this go bigger and faster and quicker and more organized well there's so many levels to that discussion uh, giles but 
what I have seen in the last eight years that I've been running Gippsland Solar in the middle of the Latrobe Valley, so in the shadows of all the coal-fired power stations, uh, the, the conversation's changed immensely, especially in the last three years. Um, so I actually moved to Gippsland from you know, um, Thornbury, Northcote, so the inner northern suburbs, Greenbelt of Melbourne, where you know your environmentalism and your passion for the environment was your badge of honour. You could be proud of it, and that's why we do what we do. Uh, so you know, I moved to the Latrobe Valley, and I was quite shocked, actually, at the, the different mindset. Uh, and it took me a little while to come around to um, their way of thinking and, and them to come around to my way of thinking about the future of the energy mix. Um, part of it, actually, was about me softening my attitude and getting to understand that, you know, the people that I'm talking to have had three or four generations of, um, of income from the coal-fired power industry. You know, they might have worked in the coal-fired power industry for 10 years and their dad did for 50 and his dad did for 50. Um, and this is all they've known. So when you tell them that this whole industry is coming um, to a bit of a halt, um, regardless of how fast it's going to happen, there's no doubt that it is. It's very hard for people to hear that. So we had to back off a little bit and just start putting out positive messages. So every time we employ an apprentice or we pick up a displaced Hazelwood worker or create an opportunity for somebody, we just have to tell that story and tell it to everybody so they can see uh, that there's opportunity. And what we've been telling people in the Latrobe Valley is that you can actually keep the jobs that you have now. So however long this transition takes, it is going to happen. It's clear. But we still have uh, 2,500 jobs in the Latrobe Valley in the coal-fired power industry. Um, but then we can create a new skills base in renewables and we can transition these workers across and give them a roadmap um, to a new um, energy job, so to speak, um, using their pre-existing skills, which are actually quite complementary to large-scale solar. Hmm. And how much solar is actually happening in the Gippsland area, um, in, in both rooftop, in commercial, and in, and in large-scale? Or is there any large-scale yet? Well, our particular business in the last 12 months, we had about a 250% increase in solar for commercial applications in terms of volume. Um, so that's been quite amazing. And a lot of the businesses that we're putting a 100 kilowatt system on, their primary business is in the power industry, um, you know, doing maintenance and shutdowns and operations in the power sector. Um, really? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And, and wow. Uh, I remember the first time that I did um, solar for a company called Asclear, who do asbestos removal and maintenance in the power industry. And I said to Darren, the managing director, I said, do you mind if we do some publicity around this? Do you mind people knowing that you put on solar? He goes, I couldn't care less. He said, this has got a three and a half year payback. So tell everyone, I don't care. And that's what's driving people now. So I think there's a really, there's a, there's a general understanding now that it's not about the emotion of the, um, saving the environment for everybody. Um, you know, mm. that's why I do it. But for some people, it's just about, this has got a 35% return per year and that's what's driving my decision. Um, and once we get into a practical discussion about renewables uh, as a cost competitive form of electricity, then I think that the tide is going to shift in our favor. Wow. What, a, what an amazing story. So do, does that mean that, you know, that, that we're at, I mean, what you're telling us is that the economics are capable of overcoming the, the emotion and, and the, the, the historical, I mean, there's a deep, I mean, there's a deep historical connection, right? There's a, there's a loyalty to energy because their family has all grown up around coal and it's been part of their blood, right? And, and that's, that's just the way it is. But what you're telling us is that when it comes to surviving on a day-to-day -day basis and keeping their business profitable, economics will overcome that. And does that, does that then shift their ideological objection to the technology? It does. There's two things that will shift the, uh, the, the, the way of thinking in the Latrobe Valley. One is pure economics. I mean, if you go into any business and say that you can improve their electricity running costs by 30%, 
um, with no deposit up front, then clearly they're going to look at that. Um, so they're not so worried about the environmental statement. They're just worried about making their business more competitive. So I think that's one thing that's happening. And also too, every time we employ someone's kid in an apprenticeship, you know, not just that person who comes to work for us, but their whole family starts to be converts to the opportunities that renewable energy can provide. So our job, in my opinion, in the Latrobe Valley is just to go out there and just say, look, let people have the discussion about the coal-fired power uh, industry and the, the kind of future that has. Our job is to go out there and just shout from the rooftops, hey, you know, we employ 50 people now. We're a significant employer of people in the Latrobe Valley. And it doesn't matter if we're manufacturing cars or we're installing solar panels on roofs. Those are real jobs that will have a real long-term sustainable benefit to the economy. What a fantastic story! Now you've you've been how long have you been in the industry, Andy? A long time since oh. since I'm, uh, you you had you were a young fellow when I met you. Yeah, that's right. I've been in the industry uh, since I was 18 years old, which regrettably it is now half my life. <laughs> um, in fact, the very first solar panel I bought was an 80 watt solar panel from one Nigel Morris, I believe, a BP solar panel made in Sydney. <laughs> is it still that's working? Right, that's right. Oh, I assume so. I've lost contact with the customer. I, I know they paid. Uh, I know they paid sixteen hundred dollars for an eighty watt panel, which is twenty dollars a watt. Yeah, <laughs> my God, what sort of warranty did you get? Oh, excellent warranty. Back in those days. Excellent warranty. So, Andy, you so eight, seven, eighteen odd years you've been doing this. You've had your own business for you know, seven or eight years of that now since you moved um, up into the Latrobe Valley. Tell tell us about what what that has been like for you what are what are the what are the big challenges you've you've what are the big lessons you've learned i guess since you started your business and now got one of the one of the biggest and most successful solar business in the country well done mate well done um what what are the what are the top couple of lessons that you've learned and what are the big challenges you you, you're facing today well i think as anyone will know that the the dynamic nature of the solar industry everything is just changing so quickly um Again, a very wise man once told me, one Nigel Morris, that they referred to it as the solar coaster, <laughs> and we ride the ups and downs. I've, I've heard that and, before. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I've heard it a lot. <laughs> uh, but it, it does. It, it actually does ring true. You know, the, the, um, the, the industry that we're in at the moment, every time I go to a conference, every couple of months I catch up with a new group of people uh, from interstate and talk about products and services and solutions, it's all vastly different. You know, it's just the things that we're looking at now, like I've got three or four people on my, um, in my workforce that are heavily involved in data and comms and they're building computers and running 3D modelling and rendering programs. You know, to see the solar industry moving into that sort of mature, um, really technical sort of space is extremely exciting. Um, but it's hard enough to keep up with industry trends, let alone trying to identify and predict where the industry is going and stay ahead of the curve. Um, mm. I love you that, mentioned... but it, it does create challenges. Yeah. You mentioned before that um, yeah, you, you got into the industry when um, solar was um, $20 a watt. What on earth was the attraction then? Was it, was it the prospect of what it would become? <laughs> well, I think my first four or five years, I didn't even do an on-grid system. It was an 80-watt solar panel to run a, you know, an electric fence or a water pump or something like that. So the, comp yeah, yeah. So the competition, the, the, the alternative was even more expensive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it was all off-grid homes up in the hills. Mm. And then we had all the rebates come in and, you know, one kilowatt grid-connected systems became common. And, like, I still remember the day that a customer decided to double their system from one kilowatt to two kilowatts. And we were sitting in the office going, wow, we don't have any single-line diagrams or drawings to actually manage this project. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, it seems like a million years ago, but it was it was not that long ago. No, no, that's it? right. And, know, it's it's happened that, very fast. And now I sit in the office. I went in the other day, and our team's putting together a, a structural drawings and a single line diagram for a one megawatt grid connected system. I'm just like, this is this is where it's going. It's amazing to be a part of this <laughs> this revolution. I don't think is a too fine a word for it. Fantastic. Um, Fantastic. We're listening to Andrew. We're here with um, Andrew McCarthy from Kitsland Solar. Um, and I'd just like to put in a quick word for our sponsors, um, Solar Analytics, and our new sponsor, um, Warwick Johnson from SunWiz and PV Cell, too. Um, they've just come on board in the last couple of episodes. So thank you very much for them. Um, Andy, back to you. Um, now, tell us a little bit about some of the dynamics happening going forward. Um, you're a bit worried about some of the competitive concerns happening here as some of the incumbents and the utilities fight back. What's going on? Well, I think in any industry that's growing really quickly, um, there's going to be a series of issues that we face. Um, you know, policies and regulations just aren't there to keep up with the rapid growth in this industry. Uh, you know, so we're seeing that we're getting more and more pushback from the, um, the network operators and the distributors in terms of getting approvals across the line. You know, we've been in and out of ministers' offices in the last 12 months saying, you've got to help us with this situation. You know, we've got um, 300 solar panels in the, in the shed that we've already paid for. We've got the customer screaming, saying, I want this system installed. I want to start getting the benefit. Um, and, and then you've got the distributor sitting on it saying, well, we haven't got to your application yet, so don't call us, we'll call you. And if this industry is going to grow and mature and become a mainstream industry, we need to remove some of those roadblocks because that is literally holding businesses back and it's costing people jobs. This is a this is a really interesting competitive issue somewhere in here, Andy, because you know I've faced this historically where I've seen, for example, that you know I, I've put in an application to get hold of some data or on behalf of a customer who wants solar, who's made an inquiry to us, and um, the customer rings me a couple of days later and said, "Hey, did you tell my retailer to ring me and offer me solar? Because out of the blue, they offered me solar the day after you rang and asked for that data." And, and I've seen examples of that where the, the, um, the, the monopolistic position uh, and the access to information that retailers and network companies have um, provides them with a very significant competitive advantage. And there are situations where I've seen them use that to try and, you know, compete head on. Do you, um, and, and, and you know, I know you faced a few issues recently where um, network companies, you know, sort of came out and, and admitted to you that they saw you as a, as a, as a huge threat. Yeah, well, it's interesting you should say that um, at the MCG's uh, AFL country game, uh, which is a, a celebration of regional Victoria, and, and they invite along a whole bunch of businesses um, to tell the story about, you know, running a business in regional Victoria. Um, so we were invited along and we we're incredibly excited, you know, for us to go into the big smoke. This is a huge opportunity for us. Um, and then one of the uh, network operators uh, who happened to be a major sponsor of the event found out that we were on the list. And with three days to go, they said, sorry, but you're a direct competitor to us and we can't have you at the event because uh, it's, a, it's a business conflict. Is that right? So hang on, let's, yeah. just, let's just clarify this. This is a network operator saying that you, a solar installer, are a direct competitor to them. Well, on face value, it appears to be a network operator and an owner of Poles and Wise saying that until you look a little deeper and see they have an interest, whatever uh, kind of interest that may be, in a solar company, which they install systems on their own network. And this creates a lot of challenges where we're competing against another solar company that's affiliated to the owner of the network. And I'm not sure if they would wait six months for a Grid Connect approval the same way that uh, Gippsland Solar would. I have no comment on that. 
but I think it does create an interesting set of challenges. Um, for me, it's kind of like playing cards against the house, where the odds are stacked against you from day one. And I think we need to we need to think about that very carefully and the repercussions as we go forward. It's an issue that has not um, really been addressed adequately yet, is it, Andy? I mean, you're, you, you, that is a classic example. And in fact, it's it's a stunning admission in my book. Um, that they 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 will admit to you that they see you as a competitor because if that is the case, then there is an anti-competitive issue that needs to be addressed. And we're seeing um, thinly veiled examples around the country of networks setting up entities um, uh, who are theoretically at arm's length so that they don't have the advantage of being owned by a network company. But of course, they are owned by a network company and they you know, probably share the same lunchroom. And you know, if they need a connection, they can go and talk to someone they've probably known for 20 years. And it stands to reason that no matter what the policies and regulations say about ring fencing and everything else, um, if you are part of the same entity, uh, then the reality is, and this admission demonstrates it, that they do uh, they are in a competitive position with us. And uh, I think this is an issue that's only going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And if you keep throwing on, you know, one megawatt systems uh, and challenging them and the amount of kilowatt hours that are being delivered through their poles and wires, of course you're a bloody competitor. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, I should say as a footnote to that, that we actually did get reinstated at the event at the MCG. Um, when we were told that we weren't invited <laughs> along, we did what any any business would do in 2018, and we ran a social media campaign saying "shame on you." <laughs> and, uh, and their Facebook how page. Long did got, it, how long did it take to turn that issue around? One Andy? hour and 45 minutes, Nige. <laughs> and in that time, they hit about 30,000 people on social media, and they rang me and said, "We need you to do something about this post. We'd love to have you along." <laughs> that is wow. hilarious. That's beautiful. Um, it. It's a it's a it's a classic example of of um, you know the big the the reality of um, you know the big the the reality of these challenges, but the reality that guys like Andy face and so many other solar businesses face is this stuff, right? And it it's um, mm. we've got work to do yet. Hey yeah, guys, what I would say to the industry as well, I think if we're talking about ways that businesses like Gippsland Solar can overcome this, you know, in my opinion, um, the big energy providers are the biggest threat to our business model. I just keep saying to people in the industry, we need to collaborate, we need to work together, we need to raise each other's bars in our businesses and get better at what we do. Because if we don't, you know, the, the big energy providers and the retailers are going to step into this space, the venture capital companies, and they're going to dominate. And in my opinion, that's a really bad thing for the future of our industry. Andy, um, I'm guessing that's not the only competitive pressure. I'm thinking there's other competitive pressures out there too. And I'm thinking particularly on low cost um, rivals. And um, this is something that Nigel has been very strong on in, in all the episodes that we've done here. I just want to discuss um, um, a really interesting story came out of the Mackay Regional Council up in Queensland, right in the heart of coal country. They did a tender for 1.7 megawatts of solar that they want to put across 21 different um, rooftops that um, the council owns, the depots, um, the council chambers, the libraries, the performance arts centre and all that sort of stuff. And so they did a tender. Um, really interesting result. And look, and good on Mackay Council uh, for doing that. They've got the, they've got the, they, they ran a tender. They had 16 people, cut it into 13, had four finalists. They've got a result which they say will give payback in four years, will give, um, you know, 20 times or 10 times the, um, 
the, the savings over 20 years are just immense for a, a two million outlay. Yeah, I think it's 15 million, 15 bucks, million or bucks or something oh, like huge. that. Yeah. yeah, and look, good on them for doing it. And I think that's the opportunity that's there for a lot of people, businesses, councils, and um, and, um, and and what have you. But look, there's something that struck a couple of people a bit strange, passing strange about this, and I'd be really interested in your views and also Nigel's. One is that this tender resulted in prices, which some people say they haven't seen before. So for 1.7 megawatts, I think after STCs, it was the bid was the winning bid was 1.9 million dollars. I think before STCs and not including contingency costs put in by the councils and councils and costs, it was 2.1 million dollars. The significant thing about that is that there was three other bidders and they're all about a million dollars more or thereabouts than this bid. Um, Andrew, without naming this company or whatever, what do you think is going on here? Or what do you worry well, about going on? Yeah, I think it's just emblematic of what we're seeing across the industry. You know, um, we're in for um, crap solar mark two at uh, the way that I see things going at the moment. You know, in the residential space, we had the market took off everybody jumped on the train thinking there was this huge honeypot and let's all get in there and, and make as much money as we can. Eventually, quality started to fall, prices started to fall, and it became about, can I get a system for no outlay? Um, it goes without saying that a couple of years after that, we found that all of a sudden we were seeing rubbish systems installed because it was all about price. Um, unfortunately, now in the commercial space, this is exactly what's happening all over again, and I really hope we learn those lessons because... Um, you know, like I think we're seeing crap commercial solar, CCS, which it used to stand for <laughs> carbon capture and storage and now it stands for crap commercial solar. <laughs> um, and we can have a laugh and it, it's, um, it's a bit of a worry though because I'm seeing some horror stories. You know, a 75-year-old guy running a pub who's been ripped off blind uh, in our local area, his retirement plan's just been blown to smithereens by uh, crap solar. He's been ripped off and he's on a 17% um, interest plan to pay it back for a system no. that's not connected and it's in the hands of his lawyers and this guy's like, what can oh. I do about this? That's bad because... So Andy, in your, in, in your view, sorry, Joss, in your view, is that price real? I mean, can it be done? You can reverse engineer that, right? You've, you've got as much buying power as anyone else in this country. You've got as much experience as anyone else in that sort of scale of type of projects. You've worked in regional areas like this is. You're, you're the, exactly the right kind of business to evaluate that. Can you reverse engineer that and do that job at that price? I couldn't see any way it could be done. That was the first thing we did was calculate the price backwards and go, let's just assume that you're not planning on making any money. You're doing it to just build your profile or to gain market share. It, it mm -hmm. still couldn't be done in our opinion, let alone leaving anything aside for a 10-year warranty or a 25-year servicing capacity. Mm -hmm. I just, it, it's a, it's, it must be a great concern. And well, I think anyone that, looks at, anyone that looks at that proposal and sees three proposals at the same price and then someone else outrageously cheaper than the rest, you have to ask yourself, how do they do that and what's the repercussions down the track? Yeah, well, look, I hope it turns out to be a happy story, um, you know, for the council. And maybe we um, are witness here to a step change in the in the price of solar. Maybe solar is coming down to one cent a kilowatt hour, but um, but we fear not. Or, or maybe it's CCS. Or maybe, maybe it's CCS, CCS. yeah. Look, um, I, I heard a... I, I mean, this really irks me, and I will be very, very interested. I, we maybe we should try and get in touch with the guys from Mackay Council and and and, and the others who are involved in uh, in advising them on this. But I heard a story recently about some uh, a friend actually who was uh, in a bowling alley, and uh, he noticed a, a little display screen that was talking about solar, and uh, he said, "Oh, have you got solar on this place?" And they said, "Yeah," and they shuffled and gave an awkward kind of. 
and they, they looked awkward and he said, oh, well, do you or don't you? And they said, oh, yeah, we do. But, you know, um, it was really, really cheap. But, um, you know, we had a couple of problems. And he said, oh, yeah, what sort of problems was that? And they said, well, you know, it all happened very fast and it went on the roof and there was no upfront cost and this wonderful finance deal. But um, a couple of weeks after it went in, we had a big rainstorm and um, uh, the roof leaked um, because they hadn't done the proper engineering studies on the roof and they didn't realise that they were going to bow our roof. And that caused all the water to flood in, which destroyed all our bowling lanes and all our electronic gear in the gaming room just before the peak season and of course rebuilding those bowling lanes not only took months but took them out of business for something like three or four months right uh and he said to him well that was a bit of a disaster oh yeah it was so cheap though but andy Andy, what do we do about this i think it's going to be partly it's going to be education you know the, the consumer will only make a decision based on the information they're provided with you know, we need to start selling on value rather than price. And, and if you look at this as a long-term asset and you say, this system's going to generate 30 megawatt hours over its lifespan of its warranty. So relatively, the extra price that you're paying for good quality product and backup service is minuscule. And, you know, a 100 kilowatt system that's offline for a day is going to cost you 60 or $70. You know, you need to start putting this into terms that the client can understand that, you know, price is what you pay and value is what you get. And I think people need to really start selling that message and creating a value proposition to educate mm. the client. And then it's mm. up to the clients to, to do some due diligence. Hey, guys, I can, um, I can hear the, see the time ticking over and, um, and, and I can hear some audio files going a little bit strange. So I might just try and wrap this up pretty soon. Nigel, just a quick one. Um, you were just got to tell, you got to tell, share this story. You were just walking through Redfern the other day oh. and you came across something quite interesting. Tell us about we, it. We started, we started the show with a laugh. Let's see if we can finish with a laugh. This is a true story, right? This, oh, catch the train to work. Walking down one of the back lanes in Redfern where our office is and uh, walked past this building and I, I don't, I'm a bit, bit partial to some nice old architecture and looked up at this building and went, ah, oh, good grief, that's the old Redfern electric light station and a magnificent building. And so the first thing I did was Google it. I stood there in the back lane and Googled it up straight away and went, oh, what's the history of this place? And blow me down if it wasn't the very first commercial power station in Sydney. Hmm. Um, it wasn't the first place to have electric lights. That was uh, that um, there was a demonstration in the Botanic Gardens a couple of years before, and Tamworth was actually the first public town to have lighting. But in the city of Sydney, it was the first commercial power station. Um, so it supplied lights. It went online in 1891, 127 years ago, Giles, and the building's still there. It's beautiful, um, surrounding lights and a little bit of power to a couple of buildings in the in the nearby streets. Um, so it was a wonderful thing, but the best part of the stories was when I started looking up the history of it, I found this great little story about the fact that Paddy's Markets was, was already in place. Uh, this was 1912, so fast forward, you know, 10 years, 15 years later, um, they were supplying power down to Paddy's Market. And one enterprising local Aussie made a machine, there's a wonderful old black and white photo of this machine that they called the, um, the electric battery tester. And it was literally two metal handles that you could hold onto, which was fed with power from the Redfern electric light station. And the deal was, see how long you can hold on and how much electrocution you could handle. It cost you a penny uh, to, to have a go. And, and apparently it was very, very popular. You had to prove how manly you were to the ladies uh, and impress your girlfriend by seeing how many volts you could withstand. I just thought that was, that was um, <laughs> a, 
incredible <laughs> irony that, you know, the oldest power station in Sydney is about 50 metres from where I'm working today, and for only a penny, I could test my electrocution skills. Sounds like something you should have in the front foyer so, there, Andrew. <laughs> Throw back to the old days. The Throw back to the old days, you know. You, you've got a few extra Life customers so waiting, simpler. you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to wrap it up here. Um, hey, Andy, um, thanks very much for joining us. That's been a fantastic conversation and fascinating story and, and good luck with um, what's happening down in Gippsland. Thanks very much. Pleasure to be a part of the podcast. And um, good to have you. And Nigel, um, good luck to you. I understand um, you're going off to the wilds next week with some kids and no electricity and no phone and no nothing. So um, good luck with that. Yep, we're going off grid, going fully off grid for a week. I was living in a solar powered hut in the middle of nowhere, no internet with six kids under 14. It's going to be horrible, <laughs> but um, I've got a ha- I've got a I've got a hammock with my name on it. Well, fantastic. Well, look, I'm trusting that you survived that trip, and we'll see you back here in a fortnight. Um, thanks to all our listeners. Thanks to our um, sponsors, Solar Analytics. Thanks to it. our um, sponsors, Solar Analytics and SunWiz. We'll be talking to you in a fortnight's time. Thanks for joining us. Bye bye. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Solar Analytics, designers and suppliers of smart solar monitoring. By navigating the changing energy landscape, Solar Analytics helps increase solar performance and save money. Visit solaranalytics.com.au, get empowered, and make the most of your home energy. Solar Insiders is also brought to you by SunWiz, giving solar retailers the tools to lock in deals and stay ahead of the competition. Visit sunwiz.com.au, Australia's leading solar consultancy.